0: So today we're going to uh, continue to look at the most dangerous fences that we can build in our life, offenses. In Mark's gospel, chapter four, Jesus is teaching the key parable of the kingdom in verse 16 and 17. He says this, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. The word stumble there is also translated immediately they are offended. To stumble means to take an offense, to cause someone to fall. Now, in this particular teaching, Jesus is teaching the key parable about the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom of God works. And there are one of five, uh, this stumbling or this offense is one of five indicators that Jesus said would prevent the seed of God's word from making a difference in the life of an individual. The other four indicators are someone places no value on God's word, and that is known as a person with a Wayward heart. And then there's this other category of a a thorny heart where the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things choke out the word and it doesn't make a difference in a person's life. But the one that I believe is the greatest hindrance that keeps a seed of God's word from impacting our life is this one. This one that's known as a stony heart or a hard heart. It's offenses. And offenses cause our heart to become stony, hard. They're not pliable, teachable, or receptive. But I believe that the greatest thing that we need to strive for is not just knowing the condition that our heart can be in and the danger it causes, but to strive with everything that we have to become a person that has a good heart. And Jesus describes someone's heart as good when the soil is receptive. In other words, they accept it. They hear the word of God and they put the word of God into application or practice in their life. So two weeks ago, I shared that the temptation to be offended is inevitable. Jesus said that offenses will come. It's a built-in part of life. But we don't have to take the offense. We don't have to let the offense get a root system in us and cause us to be bitter or envious or angry or jealous. We don't have to allow that. But sometimes, in all honesty, it does occur. We're offended. James said offenses come in many different ways, but primarily through the tongue. And then he described the tongue as just a whirlwind of fire, that it can just stir up trouble in a moment, have you experienced that? Has your tongue ever got you in trouble? Has your tongue ever caused you to be an offense to somebody, or has anybody ever offended you with the words that they said? I think all of us could say yes to that. So when I talked about offenses are being inevitable, I also reminded you a couple of weeks ago that we must be aware and wise enough. As we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, not to cause others to stumble or to be offended. Because that's a sign of maturity. Uh, there's, a, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that talks about that a just man may fall seven times and yet he rises again. And this is what I, I want to point out in that particular example of a righteous man in scripture to you this morning is that the getting up is the most important part of that particular verse. There's many ways that we could all fall. There's many ways that all of us could stumble. But the key is getting up. And the righteous have a reason to get up. And the righteous have a reason to get up because the Lord is good and merciful even when we fall. The Lord covers us. The Lord cleanses us. The Lord renews us. So we do have incentive to get up and it's because God's not done with us yet. We sang this morning, if we're not dead, God's not done. And I believe that to be true. We also sang that in this life, nothing else matters. And what we're, what we're singing and celebrating about salvation when we declare those words is, it's not that your job doesn't matter, your family doesn't matter, friends doesn't matter. What it means is in light of Jesus, nothing else holds a candle to him. Nothing is as important in our lives as Jesus. Yes, your family matters. But compared to Jesus, Jesus hopefully is the one who is knitting your family together, working in your family, in your friendships, and your vocational career and strengthening you and upholding you so when we we talk about this this fence you know fences are are uh, are built for different reasons some of them are very noble and good sometimes we just need a little privacy and I I think that I would and I would suggest and highly recommend that when you're on social media that some of the private areas of your life are not for public consumption. And that, that I think that when you're posting, make sure that it's appropriate in accordance with your faith and the dignity of your own life. Not everyone has a window into all of Charlene's and I's uh, struggles or problems. I find support with my pastor, with uh, people that are on my elder board, with you in the congregation. I know where to go to get counsel, and it's not social media, at least for me. Uh, And I I think that, you know, sometimes when we we would deal with the subject matter offenses, privacy is is a reason to build a fence. And, and sometimes it's just a border or a boundary that say these are our property lines and and we have an, an understanding of our property lines and what we're to be stewards over and to take care of. I also know that uh, fences are meant to keep certain people in and to keep certain other people out. And that's not necessarily bad. It's just a reason to build a fence. Sometimes people build a fence because it's a decorative statement. It's... Uh, aesthetics that makes their property look more appealing and i i'm I'm all for that we like driving around seeing white picket fences around the the farmlands of of iowa i think that's beautiful but i also know in this particular case when jesus is talking about fences or offenses he's talking about things that are very dangerous to us very debilitating to our health and our overall quality of life and and he gives us a a really clear instruction of why fences and offenses come. It's because in this particular situation, in Mark's gospel, chapter four, it's because tribulation and persecution came when the word came and people became offended because of that. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a moment. But I used the fence to illustrate the truth in our relationships and everyday responsibilities a couple of weeks ago. I, I made it personal. I talked about family and friends, coworkers, bosses, coaches, politicians, actors, artists, entertainers. I, I tried to use a good gamut of just ways in which we could be offended. As a matter of fact, this morning I chose to wear these bright red pants to see who I could offend. I, I, I use the church as an illustration the songs that we sing, or the music's too loud, or this or that, and, and why don't they do things the way that, and, and how complaining is an indicator of a potential offense. Fault finding, criticism, judgmentalism. And and all of us have bitten that apple. We've all been tempted, and we've all looked at it, and pondered and considered, Ah, should I do that, should I say that? Should I be that guy? Should I be that gal? And ah, we bit it. We said it. We did it. And it caused an offense. Or someone said it and did it to us and we were offended. And at that po- in that moment, in the personal way, Jesus likened it to picking it up. You don't have to pick it up. It can just sit there. But when we pick it up, we start carrying it around with us. Did you ever realize that? And... You don't carry it to some places, it goes all places you go, because now it's become attached to you. And now, it could have started off very subtly with, you were offended by the way that someone talked to you, or you were offended because you got a speeding ticket in a school zone. And, you know, those kids should be quicker than 25 miles an hour. Those kids should be quick, or we should be slower, and... And we, we get sort of out of sorts. We get worked up. And then we just carry it around with us. We sometimes happens at work and we didn't get the promotion and someone else did. And we really know how they are when the boss isn't around. And because of that, we picked it up. And we start carrying it with us and it starts bleeding over into other conversations with people. The holidays are coming up. You know you're going to go see your relatives. You know it's on the calendar. You know someone's going to burn something. Don't be offended. Don't go in the living room. I told you we shouldn't have had her cook the roast. Every time she cooks the roast, it's bunk burnt roast. Right. If I wanted burnt ends, I'd go to Kansas City. And sarcasm is part of offenses. Anybody here with me still? Can I get a half mass? Don't give her the dinner rolls to do. And it can lead into much bigger problems in our life. It can affect our quality of life, our health, our mental stability, the soundness of our mind, the peace. Sometimes people uh, talk about it in terms of when people are offended, it's what keeps them up at night. It's what prevents them from sleeping, running that conversation over and over and over again in their mind, and it creates restlessness. And it's an epidemic in our culture today. There's more people that are taking pills to go to bed and get up than any time in history. There's more scripts that are being written for depression and and loneliness or different dysfunctions than any time in the history of the world. And could this be at the root of it is offenses. The way those offenses come can be a myriad of different ways, but they do come. So I reminded you, how can we identify if we've been offended? We take what is said or done personally. And we, therefore, number two, we seek revenge or we want someone to suffer. And the third thing that's a real indicator than we, when we've been offended is we spread the offense to others. So what do we do if we're caught in the trap of an offense? Jesus talked about forgiveness a lot because he was about reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. And to offer forgiveness for all the offenses that we had committed towards God. All the sins we had committed towards him. And Jesus was a bridge builder. He was not building fences to keep us away from God. He was building a bridge to get us to God. So we learned in Matthew chapter 18 to go to that individual who has offended us. And have a conversation around the problem to take others who were witnesses if they don't listen to us. And then if they don't listen to the witnesses, to have godly authority or the church to intervene, to reconcile. And if that doesn't work, we have to separate ourselves from that individual. So there's multiple steps to take. I think that that Jesus knew human nature would take the first step. Some would take the second step. Rarely is the third step invoked, but... They're ready, readily uh, willing to separate themselves immediately. And that's when we know we need intervention. That's when we know we need support and counsel. And I know I've needed it in my life before. I've, I've had people had those uh, accountability conversations when I'm complaining or belly aching or griping about something. And someone says, Doug, it sounds like you're offended. They're really my friend. They're doing me a service. And and at that moment, they'll say, have you talked to him? Well, no, I haven't talked to him. I already know what they think. I already know what they think. Well, how do you know if you haven't talked to him, Doug? Maybe they just had a moment. Maybe they didn't even realize what they said. Maybe they it happened innocently. and, And now you're making an assumption and you know what they think. And I would say, yeah, I know what they think. I was there. I said, "Could pride be a problem, Doug? I don't know if it's a problem." They keep prodding. They're not my problem. I'm my problem. They're just revealing it in the conversation. Have you? Were there any witnesses, Doug? Well, yeah. Have you talked to them about it? Well, why would I talk to them? I mean, they might side in with the other person. They might agree with them against me, and. who wants two against one? I'd rather have me two against one. See, when Jesus is asking us to do something, it requires us to do something. Not just hypothetically think about it, because it won't go away hypothetically thinking about it or not doing something about it. You have to bring it out and put it on the table. You've got to talk about that 800-pound gorilla. And when they said, well, have you talked to the pastor about it? Well, I am the pastor. (laughs) Talk to myself. Oh, let's just say I'm not the pastor. Many years I wasn't. And did you talk to the pastor about he's busy? He doesn't want to hear my problems. He's got enough problems. He, He listens to enough people's problems. Every one of us in one way or another could identify with what I just said. If you want to reconcile, you've got to go through the process of reconciliation. And it takes time and it takes patience because the process doesn't happen instantaneously. Not if it's lingered for quite some time. So, as we take a closer look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. We can see, let's read these verses again. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, so only endure for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, see, it's it's not personal. It's because of the word's sake, says immediately, they stumble or they are offended. Why did it happen immediately? Because there was no root system developed in them. We're, we're at the time of the year where we're we're pulling up our annuals. You know, the next few nights we're going to really have some, some hard frost. And for all the flower lovers, and I'm one of them, I, this is the time of year where you've been watering and taking care of something since March or April, and now here's October, and and you've watched it grow and blossom you pruned it and it's it's bloomed more and it's been you know something that's been decorative and and for those that that enjoy you know taking care of plants this is a this is sort of a sad time even though I sort of hate getting up and watering still I don't have to water as much it's not the heat of the summer but the blooms are still pretty and everything is is still has has color and vibrancy to it But we're at that time of the year where we're going to go out and we're going to pull up our annuals. And you know how easy it is to pull up annuals? They just haven't had enough time to develop a root system. Or you're like me, we overwater them. Are you thirsty, little guy? You thirsty? You're really thirsty. It's hot today. I'm thirsty. And you just keep watering them. Pretty soon they're like, (coughs) waterlogged. But what about a perennial? or what about a tree that's been there for several years and established? You grab a hold of one of those and it's like, "You pull this way and it pulls back. Woo, Hold it. Pull. It pulls you back in. It has a root system. It's down into the soil. How did that happen? Over seasons? Over seasons. And when you're in the word over seasons, you get a root system developed in you. And when tribulation and persecution come. You're not easily uprooted and you don't immediately fall. You don't stumble or offended. So that's the value of the word of God. Let's talk about the word stumble. The word stumble means that someone or something has tripped me up. Someone or something has tripped me up. It's thrown me off my game. I'm off balance. Something has disoriented me and I'm just, I'm lightheaded. I'm just, I don't know my way. I've lost my equilibrium and therefore I can stumble. Uh, Right now in the NFL, they're really watching concussion protocol and, and I'm thankful for that, um, And almost to the the place that if someone just gets up and maybe they didn't get hit in the head, but they just took a jarring hit. And they're getting up and they just misstep one step that they pull them off the field and they put them into the protocol tent and they start going through the procedure. And they're doing that because they're coming under heavy criticism right now for not doing that to certain players and not protecting certain players. But this is what I do know is that sometimes when you just get up, right, after falling, the first step is almost a misstep. How many of you get out of bed and are just in a perfect gate? You get out of bed and you say, "Wow, well, I think I'll go have a cup of coffee. I mean, your first step out of bed is almost back into bed. Like... <laughs> Lord, what time is it? And where Where am I at? And, oh, yeah, I'm in my bedroom and it's Monday. All right. So stumbling, stumbling is, is something that is a beautiful word picture of what offenses do to us. For the word's sake. And it trips, trips us up, causes us. To sort of lose our equilibrium. Our footing isn't underneath us real strong. So stumbling. Is a problem because. It's synonymous with offenses. And this is another indicator. When we know we're offended. Okay. We isolate ourselves. This is one I didn't. Talk about a couple weeks ago. We isolate ourselves. Because when we're offended, um, we got an axe to grind. And typically, you know, people with an attitude or an edge, uh, it increases because they isolate themselves and there's no support around them to help strengthen them or bring them perspective. So be careful when you feel like isolation is an answer. Isolation is not an answer. I'm going to give you the answer here in a moment. But let's get into another text. Because Peter shared that Jesus' teachings would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's what Peter said. And who better to say that than Peter? Do you think Peter stumbled occasionally? he was off his game, that things that Jesus said, he took personally, that he was going to prove that he was right and Jesus was wrong, which is another indicator of pride. I'll show God. That's, in essence, what Peter said when Jesus prophetically announced to him, you know, you're going to deny me before this rooster crows. A couple times, man, you're already going to knock me down three. And Peter's like, not me. Maybe some other, one of these other dudes, but not me. So Peter, understanding that when Jesus speaks and when Jesus communicates, sometimes those words, if we're not purposing to be good soil... ...can become offensive. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Let's go there and let's take a look at a couple of ways... ...in which we can prevent ourselves from picking up offenses. Picking up offenses, not personally now, but based on the teachings of Jesus. Is that okay? Because Jesus said that people would be offended... At times because of him. Chapter 11 verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. That he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples. And he said to him are you the coming one or do we look for another. Jesus answered and said to them. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Could it be that, that John asked this question because John was in prison for doing something that was right and righteous? And that. Jesus answered John's disciples' questions. They were, they were wanting to know, John has sent us to you. And we're inquiring, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? And and Jesus answered the question by saying, these are the things that are occurring where I am ministering. All of them are indicators that he is the Messiah. These are the signs that are following the words and the teaching that I'm bringing. God's confirming the word. So he's answering the question by saying, the evidence is in the fruit. The evidence is in the work. And the work is, is, is being done as glorifying unto the Lord. But then he said, and blessed are those that are not offended by me. So why, why would John send his disciples to someone he had already affirmed as being the Christ, the son of the living God is because potentially listen, John was offended. Why was John offended? Because the script wasn't playing out the way that he thought it would. John was a prophet. What do prophets do? Prophets talk to Kings and hold them accountable. John went and talked to Herod, who was the governor of the area. And he held Herod accountable because he divorced his wife just so he could have his brother's wife. And he said, what you did was wrong. Now, Herod feared John. He knew he was a holy man. But his brother's Philip's wife, his, his, his brother, who was Philip, his wife, who Herod took to be his wife, took exception to what John had to say and caught her offense, jumped off on her husband, he became offended and eventually had John imprisoned. So here is what John is thinking and maybe now the rubber will meet the road a little bit. Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever been offended because something happened to you that you didn't think should have happened to you? This doesn't fit the script. Is Jesus really someone we should be following? Is Jesus someone we should really be listening to? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Can I really trust his word? Can I really rely on his word? Can I really believe his word? Because somehow the script of my life isn't really playing out the way that I thought it would. I've done a lot of things right. I don't know. Yeah, I've done a few things wrong, but my rights are more than my wrongs. And somehow it just doesn't seem like I'm getting the good end of the story. I'm getting the poor end of the story. And somehow the story has become about us and not about him. And now we're offended. We've picked it up. We carry it around with us. I love what Jesus did. We won't go there, but you can read it for your own personal edification. later is that Jesus began to tell the crowd. There's no one like John. No one. Among women, there's never been a greater prophet that's been born. All he did was affirm John because John was hurting. See, sometimes offenses happen because we're hurting because our life just isn't happening the way that we want it to. Things aren't unfolding the way we imagine they would our prayers aren't being answered in the way that we thought they would be and now we're questioning you know can i even trust god can i talk to god about that doubts have entered in and doubts have have lingered long enough that they've created a barrier sometimes between us and jesus offenses here and we want to talk to them but we're like you know the more i talk to you it seems like sometimes the more things Get challenging. Difficult. Could be that John was offended because persecution and affliction came to him for the word's sake. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to me. So I don't think I'm much different than you. You. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. Well, he would say it another way. Blessed are those that are not offended by my words. By my words. So when the script doesn't unfold or the narrative of the story of our life doesn't unfold the way that we want to. It's an opportunity to pick up an offense. Don't do it. Keep trusting God. Jesus came. I mean, Jesus gave uh, John's disciples the right answer. John's Gospel, chapter six. I I have a lot of examples that I could use in scripture, but for time's sake, I'm going to just use two. And everybody said thank you. So we're talking about offenses. For the word's sake, or working through the offenses of Christ. So Jesus is gathered with a large group of people, and He's been providing for them, ministering to them, and uh, now He calls Him to a consecrated and a committed life. And in verse 60 is where I want to pick up for time's sake. In John 6:60, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying and who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Could you, could you circle the word complained and offended and, and then put a line to connect the two? So Jesus is teaching about consecration and commitment. He, he, he's teaching about living a, a devoted life a disciplined life and everyone starts murmuring and complaining saying this is really hard this is not what he's asking is too difficult he's asking too much the buy-in is too much now this is the same crowd who's been following him he's been ministering to their needs feeding them nurturing them caring for their loved ones and now he's asking for some reciprocity all right And he uses it in a metaphoric way of talking about, you know, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Of course, they didn't understand that. He wasn't talking literal. He was talking metaphorically. He was talking about life. He was talking about, I have to become your life. I have to become the one that is the center of your life. I have to become the core of your life. Everything in your life has to filter through me. And they complained about that. They wanted the blessing, but they didn't want the accountability. They didn't want the commitment. And so they were offended. And it says in verse 62, what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said to them, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That, that's. As quickly as they came as, as quickly as they went. And they came and they were rejoicing and glad, but this is how they went. They went offended. And they probably maybe had a narrative like this when they got back to their friends. They said, hey, I thought you were following Jesus. Yeah, I was following Jesus, but you know, he asked too much. But yeah, wasn't he taking care of you? Didn't he provide for you? Didn't he heal your mother-in-law? Didn't he bless your children? Uh, didn't he multiply food for you when you were in a desert, deserted or a wilderness place? Yeah, but then he asked too much. I mean, he was great and he was wonderful and he was powerful when he was forgiving me and healing me and blessing me and my family. But he asked me to follow him. He asked me actually to take up a cross and count the cost and follow him. And you know what? That's just too much. I mean, if God wants to give me something, he should just give me something. There shouldn't be any requirement on my behalf, should there? This is this is what believers look like. Who is this audience? Disciples, those that one time were committed to learning and to growing. What happened to them? Listen, they stopped learning and growing. They stopped coming and gathering. They they stopped longing to hear the truth. Now what happens? Well, I've got work. You know, my kid's going to be the next superstar athlete. He is. Potentially. He might be all neighborhood. I don't know. All world. I haven't seen an all world athlete. For most of my life. It's less than one of one half percent. That are even at the collegiate level that do anything on the professional level. So the best thing that we can work on is relationships because relationships is what last, not the season of being in the spotlight or being a good athlete or being a a wonderful dancer, but our relationships. And I'm not against any of that. As a matter of fact, I think if kids have ability, those abilities should be nurtured musically, athletically, academically. I think all of those things there But not at the cost of being offended by being committed to Jesus. So I'll give you a little caveat here and I'll be done with this bunny trail. I have identified something that I call it. I.T. It. When a kid is uber gifted musically, academically, athletically, in any of the arts, entertainment, could be drama, could be any number of things. It. And the thing that about it is, everyone can see it. It is readily recognizable. It is like, woo, they fall out of bed and they have it. Here's the deception. Every parent believes their kid is it. I, I believe that at one time. I have a son that's six foot eight. And I'll tell you, I made mistakes. Because I thought he was it. And I tried to get out of him something he didn't want to have out of him. And you know what it created? Trouble with a capital T. But you know what is mending it is I got rid of the offense. I'm not offended that he didn't make it to the NBA he's not going to take care of me in my old age with his seven-figure salary. (laughs) He might find it other ways, right? But people do that with Jesus. The promises are true. The covenant is right. The blessings are real. But the script is God's. And our responsibility is to trust him, to believe in him, not to be offended by him. When he says about John. That he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And when he says about, you know, you and I, when we're not offended by him, you've made the greatest choice you've ever made. You're going to live the most blessed life. Because while you don't understand the narrative or the script, you understand the one who is the author and the finisher, who is writing the story of redemption in your life. And potentially when he calls us to more consecration and commitment, we understand it's according to the faith he believes we have. And the potential that he sees in us. He's not going to ask us to do something he doesn't already believe we have the capacity to do, but it takes our belief in him. So fences, I want to encourage us. Not to put them up between us and Jesus. But allow God to continue the good work he's begun in us. I want to finish and I'm going to invite you to stand up. With this thought, remember earlier I talked about isolation. Isolation being an issue. Uh, it really is. Isolation is, is an issue um, because it, it keeps us from the support that we need. So what is the remedy for isolation? The remedy for isolation is solitude. I want to say that again. The remedy for isolation is solitude. I need to be alone with God. I need to let the Lord remind me of things again. Another account of Jesus coming to John is he told John's disciples, go tell John again. Go tell John again. There are certain things I need to hear instead of isolating myself from God and from others and coming to wrong conclusions. I need to find a place of solitude. Can can I share with you something that is, is a practice of mine? And if I don't practice it, I'm not a very good Christian. And that is. I have to spend time with God. Because if I don't. I'm not a very good human being. Solitude is what. Helps me to become more social. Solitude is what strengthens me. Solitude with God. Is what upholds me. When I spend time with him. I'm a better version Of Doug representing Jesus. If I don't spend time with him. I am. a I am a train wreck. So I want to encourage you. If you're tempted. To isolate yourself. And not have a sense of community and support. Practice solitude. Because Jesus will put you into relationships. Where you can receive that support. It starts with him, but it'll go to others. And keep growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. But whatever Jesus said, can we close by agreeing on this? Okay, I need some affirmation here. Whatever Jesus said, can we agree that it's good for us? All right, then let's not be offended. He's doing it because he knows what it will produce. It will produce